Welcome to So You Want to Be a Copywriter, brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses. Your host is Bernadette Schwert, who you'll find at copyschool.com, and you can find out more about all our copywriting courses at copywritingcourses.com.au. Now, over to Bernadette. Teresa Miller is a seasoned journalist and a media guru. She possesses a remarkable talent for helping individuals master the art of captivating storytelling. And with an impressive background working for prestigious news organisations like Good Morning Britain, Sky News and CNN, Teresa now works with subject matter experts so they can leverage the media and share their stories with the world. If you'd like to learn how to get your story out to the world, win the attraction of a journalist, and get the attention your story deserves, this is the podcast for you. Hello, I'm Bernadette Schwert, and this is the podcast for those looking to reinvent their lives as a copywriter and want some inspiration and practical tips on how to do it. I'm the founder of the Australian School of Copywriting and the head copywriting tutor at the Australian Writers' Centre. If you'd like to build a side hustle and work from wherever in the world you want, check out our courses and discover how copywriting can help you find the independence and freedom you seek. Here's a review from Laura who completed our flagship copywriting course. She said, I'm so glad I found this course. It gave me the confidence to leave the job that I never liked and now I can start charging for my work. I love the intellectual challenge it provides and how I get to do work with people I love and projects that really inspire me. Well, thank you, Laura. If you'd like to get the training you need to become a copywriter, check out the courses that give you the confidence, the tools, and the templates to become a highly paid copywriter. You can find out all about our courses at writercenter.com.au forward slash essentials or copyschool.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Let's get started. Theresa Miller, so lovely to have you on the podcast. Lovely to be here, Bernie. Thanks for inviting me. Theresa, we go back a long way. I think uh, it's probably 30-something years, which is uh, incredible when you think about it, but it really speaks to the experiences that you've had as a media and journalist, a media trainer and journalist. Absolutely. And Bernie, you've um, been part of that journey along the way too. I know. And I actually credit you, Teresa, with giving me one of my first jobs in TV because you were working for the Small Business Show and you kindly got me on as a reporter. <laughs> That's and right. You came on as a um, an expert. I think you were talking about direct mail um, in those days, which was you know, pre-internet really. Yeah, that was the day of the envelope stuffers. So I do hold you accountable for a lot of the um, the further opportunities that that job gave me. So thank you. Um, you also hired me to work on Australia's Most Wanted, which was one oh. of your shows as well, which I think I played a victim of crime. <laughs> you did. I do remember we were doing a reenactment on a, on a very dodgy strip of road somewhere in Melbourne late at night and... We were filming you, um, and sadly, it was it was a story about a, a woman who'd been sexually assaulted, and and I think you might have been quite traumatized by that incident. I'm really sorry about that, Bernie. I need to apologize now. 
But I think as a result of that reenactment, we did have people come forward and um, someone was charged. So it was a public service um, good deed that you did. Yes, yes. So um, all these things are fodder for our discussion today because I think what you bring to this podcast is a wealth of experience in media and training. Um, and those two things come together more than ever now because people need to know how to be in front of the media. So what I'd love to talk to you today about is um, structuring key messages because a lot of the people listening will be uh, people in comms roles uh, or and people who have got their own businesses who would love to be able to pitch their ideas to the media. So um, let, let's kick off with just a bit of your background in terms of all the organisations that you work for, because it, it's quite extensive and it's quite, a, you know, quite international as well. So what are some of the, the big programs that you've worked on over the years? Um, well, I started as a reporter um, for Channel 9 in Adelaide. And in fact, I was the youngest on-camera TV reporter in Australia at the time. I think the journalist union rang to tell me that. The, the bad news was I think I was also the lowest paid so, but I love that job. I would have done it for free. Um, that was my first job out of uni. And then I went overseas and worked in London for a couple of years for Good Morning Britain. Um, and then I was a producer when Sky News first started in London, when it was just straight 24-hour news service. Um, and then after a couple of years, I went to Switzerland and I worked for the European Business Channel. So that was half an hour in English, half an hour in German. Uh, I spoke some German then. And uh, and worked for CNN, CNN World Report, and I was in Switzerland for about four years, and then came back to Australia and came to Sydney and worked for Seven Nine, ABC, SBS. Um, I even worked on, as you said, Australia's Most Wanted as a TV reporter. And then after that, I got into corporate communications. Um, oh, I did. I had a stint actually at Radio National, working as a producer on a program called Life Matters, which I really loved. Um, and yeah, so then I got more into corporate communications and worked for some uh, big organizations in their comms department, uh, and then became a media trainer. So I was trained by a corporate training company to train people to be able to face the media or, or successfully handle an interview with a journalist, because it's you know, it looks like two people having a normal conversation, you and a journalist, but that's not what's really going on. What's going on is the journalist is there to get quotes or grabs or sound bites for their story, and you are there to deliver key messages for either your brand, yourself, or your organisation. So you're there to promote and protect your brand, if you like. So and it's I important to stay on message, Yeah. Yeah, and so I think what's great is you've got sort of two sides of the story. You've got the journalistic side, you've been that person interviewing, but you've also had the opportunity to be in front of the camera, you know, helping other organisations share their story. So I think you, you have this lovely balance of what's needed. And I think you're absolutely right too that you, you can't go into these media interviews thinking the journalist has got your best interest at heart, that it's just a chit-chat and that's their job, isn't it, to sort of lure you into some form of comfort so that you reveal and spill the beans. Um, what would you say is some of the key mistakes people make, you know, before they actually front a journalist or when they're asked for a, an interview? Uh, what, what kind of mistakes do people make? Well, the, the big takeaway is that an interview is not the time for an original thought. 
So you don't go in just thinking, oh, yeah, well, I'll just chat about this subject that I know so well and I'll just wing it because that's a case then of act in haste and repent at leisure because you can be lured, as you say, by the journalist or sometimes they lead you off track. You know, they've got an agenda. And ideally you want to stay focused on your objective. So when you agree to an interview with a journalist, I mean, maybe you've put out a media release and you're seeking um, an interview, which is great. Or maybe the journalist rings you because something's happened in your organisation um, and they want to comment um, and you need to stay on track. Now, it's not that journalists are always out for a gotcha moment. Sometimes the interview is what we call a fishing expedition. They've seen your media release and they ring you up to have a chat to see if it really is a story. Um, or sometimes it's a reaction. You know, uh, this... Um, you know, this company has been uh, the victim of a cyber attack. You know, what what are you doing at your organisation to ensure that that doesn't happen and that your uh, clients' uh, data and privacy is protected? So you need to be very clear as to why you're doing the interview. Um, and, yes, it's to promote and protect your reputation, your company's reputation, but it might be on a proactive level, it might be that you're trying to debunk myths about the issue or about your organisation or about your brand. It might be that you're informing and educating stakeholders and the public. Perhaps on a happier note, you're celebrating your hard work and success. You know, maybe your organisation or you personally have won an award for something and you that's an opportunity to talk about that. Um, it might be that you're trying to influence policymakers in your area. Maybe you have a real bone to pick with the way, um, I don't know, Medicare is structured or the education department structured or whatever it is that you're into, and you are going to use your expertise to influence policymakers to maybe rethink the way things are done. So the media can be a really valuable platform if you use it wisely. And you don't want to go into a, an interview like a deer caught in the headlights and just answer all those questions the journalist poses to you. You want to be in control of the narrative. And when the conversation is steering off track and veering off track and going into, you know, potentially dangerous waters, you want to bring it back. And you could do that by partially acknowledging the question and then saying, you know, well, yes, that that is something that we're working on. However, our focus here today is, and then X, Y, Z, and then you link back to your key message. Yeah, good tips. And we'll cover a few things in this session too. We'll look at media releases. So if somebody's looking to get their own copywriting business out there, for example, we'll talk about how to do that. And also... Um, what a journalist looks for in that media release so it's not just a, a promo, which I think a lot of people make that mistake. They think I'm just talking about myself or the business and that's not really what the journalists are looking for, so we'll cover that off. But one thing I just want to talk about is your success in, in, in using media releases yourself because you were just mentioning off air a moment ago that you uh, put together a media release and it turned into a job. And I think copywriters were quite interested in hearing that because I think they perceive copywriting to be not unlike media training you know it's a service it's not a hot topic right so how do you turn a service into something that might be good fodder for a journal so what was the story that you could share about your success there um 
Well, first of all, let me talk about what, in a journalist's mindset, what they think makes news. So there are, you know, potentially millions of stories out there that could be news, and yet we are delivered the same menu, if you like, of news in our inboxes, you know, on our phones, radio, TV, print, if you're still reading papers, which I do on the weekend. Um, it's a very, the, the journalists are looking for similar characteristics for what makes a news story. And if you can put that into your media release, then you're more likely to attract a journalist. As they say, to catch a thief, you need to think like a thief. And to capture a journalist's attention, you need to think like a journalist. So the first thing they're looking for is something new and topical. So at the moment, what's topical and trending? Um, off the top of my head, I can think, okay, cost of living, you know, rising, uh, the voice to parliament or, um, you know, what else have we got? You know, climate change issues, you know, the, these sorts of things are topical and trending. If your story somehow hooks into anything that's topical and trending, then you've got more, you're more likely to capture a journalist's attention. Secondly, it's something that's exceptional. So it's the first time it's ever been done, the last time, the fastest, the slowest, the most expensive, the cheapest, the biggest, the smallest, something that's out of the box, that's exceptional. Um, there's certainly the third element I would say is the celebrity angle. You know, if you've got a celebrity or a brand ambassador who is um, vouching for your new brand of, I don't know, sunglasses or something, then you've got more likelihood that that will be, that will pique the interest of the media. Um, fourthly is certainly conflict, um, but you don't want to, as a, as a communications person, fuel that conflict or controversy. Um, journalists, you know, the, the conflict is at the heart of all good stories, whether that is even a novel or it's a romantic comedy, believe it or not, because if you think about, you know, the latest rom-com you watched, it starts off, you know, girl meets boy, uh, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back, you know. So at the heart of it, there's something that happens that we're all waiting to see what's going to be the end result. So there is often conflict in stories, and that could be, you know, big bad insurance company against the poor flood victims and they won't get paid out or it could be two rival football teams or two rival political teams there's always you know if you look through the news there's always some sort of conflict but as a PR comms person someone who's trying to promote a product or a brand or an organization obviously you're looking for the positive side of things and the journalist might say oh yes but the glass is half empty and you could say yes and it's also half full um, the other thing that journalists are looking for is local impact, which I'll talk a little bit more about lately, uh, later, um, and human interest. So it's no good just talking in vague terms about statistics and about, you know, trends or vague issues. You've got to, how does that impact a real life human? So whenever we see a story on the news about interest rates going up, it's usually coupled with a story about a family who are finding it difficult to pay their mortgage because it's doubled in the last six months or so. And so we'll focus on them and then the audience can relate to them. So if you've got a story full of statistics, you need to find a real life example to illustrate that. 
And going back to local impact, yes, I wrote a book a couple of years ago. It was my first novel called The Spin Doctor's Wife, all about, funnily enough, PR and spin doctoring. Um, and I did send out some media releases and it did get reviewed favourably and picked up. But funnily enough, one that turned into a job was I sent my local newspaper in the eastern suburbs of Sydney um, a media release about, you know, local author writes, you know, writes a story and it's all set in the eastern suburbs. And a woman who was working for Oz Harvest read it read through it and she worked in um, communications for them and she said oh we need a media trainer and I you know it said in the media release that I was a media trainer so then she rang me and that turned into a job so I would encourage you know people think you know media needs to be you know that you're on 7 30 report or you're on uh you know breakfast tv it it doesn't have to be that if you're if you're a copywriter and you a writing copy for local tradies, and that's your niche, then put it, you know, you can pitch a media release to your local newspaper about how you're helping local tradies, um, you know, write copy that brings in clients and that helps their clients um, understand what to do when there's a burst water pipe or what to do when, God forbid, the toilet's blocked. You know, that's the sort of thing that catches people's eyes. And being very local, I think it has a big it has a big impact. You know, it could be local radio, um, you know, it could be on your local neighborhood watch, you know, online. Awesome. Um, you you wrote a very successful blog, um, which was about how to tell your family what you do for a job. And I know from experience I face that same thing. Like my mum still thinks. You know, she, she still struggles when people say, what's, what's Bernadette up to? And she says literally, oh, she's in marketing. Right. <laughs> that's got to be the end of the discussion. Um, so everyone's still trying to work out what I do, and I know you've probably experienced the same. But this blog went really well. Let's talk us through what was the, the essence of that blog and why do you think it was, um, yeah, it hit the zeitgeist? So it was, I actually wrote it in the lead up to Christmas lunch and I had COVID at the time. So I was stuck inside and I thought, hmm, what can I do with my time? So I wrote this blog because when I worked as a TV reporter, my extended family knew what I did because they could see me on the telly every night. But then I moved into media training and no one had a clue what that is. I, I think they still don't know, to be quite honest. And I think they don't ask because maybe they've been embarrassed, they don't know what it is, or maybe they're not interested, I don't know. But what I thought was if you can't explain to your relatives in a very simple way what you do, how are you going to pitch to a potential client what you do? So it's an opportunity even if you're watching your kids play sport together and you're standing on the you know side of the soccer pitch watching your kids you know lose again this week and someone turns to you and says oh what do you do and you say well you know I used to be a school teacher and now I'm a copywriter oh and they might ask a follow-up question or they might not but you may you know have the opportunity to say yes I'm, I'm a copywriter I um you know I, I help well for, for example with media training I say I help subject matter experts tell their story to a lay audience or tell their story to a wider audience through media interviews, presentations, pitches, and um, compelling content. You know, something like that. Depends on who I'm speaking to. 
And it's about selling the benefits of what you do rather than the features. And I know you talk about that to your copywriters a lot. So you don't want the nitty gritty about, oh, well, I get a brief and then I write, you know, down a few things and I show them a draft. I mean, that's that's boring, but and it's not boring, but that's what you talk about later when you've got the job. But the just the benefits of, well, I help people either attract customers or tell their story or tell their brand story or, um, uh, you know, boost their visibility, et cetera, et cetera, through, through words. I use my words to help people attract clients or be more influential, whatever it is that you do. And, and if you can niche it down uh, and be more specific, that's, that's even better. Right. Um, it, it is a real thing. You know, I think people get caught up in the features and they forget that copy is just a means to an end. It's not actually what people buy. It's the end result that they buy, which is the customers, the conversions, the sales, the profit, et cetera. So that, that's a really good point. Um, I'm kind of interested in, in how you structure a key message. So let's say you've got a client in front of you and they want to get in front of the media and you're training them on how to do that properly, there's some really nice techniques you've got that help people structure their media, which hopefully the listener can think, okay, well, if I'm either writing a media release, because I know a lot of people listening do have an opportunity to write media releases but don't know how to, what are some of your techniques on how to, how to get those messages structured correctly? Yeah, so look, if they wanted a template for um, how to write a media release, they can email me and I can send them a template. Um, we can give them my my details later. But actually in structuring, this is more for the spoken, um, spoken messages when you're speaking to a journalist. There are about four different structures. And if people ever did debating at school or uni, they'll be, you know, they'll be familiar with these structures. But the first one, it's quite simple to remember and it's the easiest. So the acronym is PRESS. So P-R-E-S-S. And the P stands for point, um, a very simple succinct point. And that could, you know, I'll go through something in a minute. The second one is reason, you know, giving them a reason to back up the point and then an example. And then the two S's are, you can just choose one, is either so what? So what does that mean? You know, what's your call to action? So And so why? And so why should I care? So why is this important? So what? So what's the big deal, really? You're, you're summing it up in a way that makes sense to the person so they can see where they should go next. So if I use the example, um, you know, I think Australia would benefit from trialing a four-day work week. That's my point. Okay, simple. It's You can argue for or against that. The reason being we could have better work-life balance. For example, you would have more time to spend with your family, looking after the kids or looking after an elderly parent or more time to spend on your own health and well-being, you know, playing sport or digging in the garden. And so why or so what? So I think that Australian employers should consider trialling the four-day work week. And the others are, you know, the second one is very easy to remember. I call it the Goldilocks one because there are just three points is point reason 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 point so you could do you know I think we should trial the four-day work week the reason being we could have more uh, flexibility with our work-life balance um, studies prove that absenteeism as actually goes down when we when we only work four days a week 
And thirdly, um, it's proven that productivity doesn't suffer. So I think we should trial the four-day work week. Now, there's a there's another one that's quite simple. That's the point past, present, future point. So once again, if you've ever done debating at school, you'll be familiar with this. And that's along the lines of, you know, let's try the four-day work week. I think we should give it a go. In the past, we were all wedded to our desks, Monday to Friday, nine to five. There was no wiggle room. And then we saw in the recent past that during lockdowns, we, a lot of us who work in the knowledge-based industry could be just as productive working from home. And then in the future, I believe that um, workplaces will have to fit more in with people's lifestyles rather than people having to fit into their workplaces. So I think we should give it a trial. Now, the fourth one is really effective, but to be used with caution. This is point, counterpoint, reason, point. So the, the counterpoint is when you know that someone has already disagreed with you and you acknowledge their their opposition and, and their, their different point of view. So you say, look, I think we should trial the four-day work week. I know that it doesn't suit every industry. If you're in catering or in construction or in transport, it's not going to suit you. However, if you're in the knowledge-based industry, it can be very suitable. And we've seen examples of that in Iceland where they've trialled it to great success. So my point is, for those people that can, I think we should trial the four-day work week. So they're very simple. And the trick to that is to make them just very short, sharp bullet points. You know, don't go into a big essay. Just keep it short and succinct. Um, I can send people some examples of that if they want to go to my website, uh, Teresa Miller, that's Teresa with an H, teresamiller.com.au. They can email me, um, you know, they can sign up for my newsletter and I've got those sorts of tips in my newsletters as as well. Great, Teresa. I'm seeing the politicians through a whole new lens now because I can hear what you're saying in the way that they do those things. I didn't know there was a structure to it. So it's actually really, really fantastic to know that the um, there's a system, right, for getting through those particular interviews. So um, let's talk about pitching a story to mm-hmm. a newspaper. Um, what do people need to think about? Well, you know, you could send a media release and there's a, you know, a media release is going to be written like a news story. So it's going to have a headline and then the, a lead, which is the first paragraph, which really tells the... So in the basis of a news story is the what, where, when, why, who, and how. So you've got to try and have most of those W's in the in the lead. You can't squish them all in, but have the most important ones. And then the paragraph under that will have the W's that you missed out. So it could be, um, oh, I don't know, off the top of my head, um, I don't know what's happening at the moment, you know, new... Uh, Gosh, guess, let's get local, you know, new state-of-the-art playground in local uh, area, uh, boosts number of visitors um, and increases, you know, community connectivity or something. I don't know. That was terrible. But it's got to have the what in it, you know, what is it, the new playground, where is it, you know, it's in your local area, um, you know, who is it for, it's for parents and kids, you know, why. Uh, to boost 
you know, to boost community spirit or whatever it is, or to boost kids' welfare or get them outside. And then then obviously you need to have quotes. So by about paragraph three, you need to have quotes from someone. So you need quotes from the local mayor or you need quotes from parents going, this is fantastic, or you need quotes from local residents. So it's about time we had a playground in this area. It's been a desert for kids or whatever it's been. So you need quotes from, you know, two, max three people. Um, And I would keep it to one page. And then at the bottom, you've got to have something like, you know, who could the journalist contact if they want more information? And are there any um, photo opportunities? You know, is there a website that they can go to and use photos that, you know, if the journalist can't send out a photographer, then are there, um, you know, photos that you've cleared that they can use? Is there, um, you know, does it link to a YouTube clip? Whatever it is. But, you know, it's there's a template actually on how to write media releases, um, which is, you know, it's not brain surgery, but it is, it is a fairly formulaic structure. And then once you get that down pat, um, you know, a journalist recognises that as being well-written. Also, it's really got to be grammatically correct. There's nothing more off-putting when a journalist looks at it and, and sees spelling errors and, you know, grammar and punctuation errors. It just doesn't look professional. But I'm sure all your copywriters know that, Bernie, because they've been well-schooled by you. So they will know how <laughs> so to be Teresa- correct. What um, let's talk about some minutiae here around mm-hmm. the media release because I know these questions come up a bit. Things like, how do you find the journalist? You know, like, do you right. look them up online? Do you look them up their byline? What are some of the mechanics of this? Because I know people get they stumble when they come to these things. So it's really important to find the right journalist if you just send it to the editor of your local paper or the editor of the Metropolitan Daily, it's just going to end up in the you know the inbox bin to be quite honest you do need to target it at the particular journalist so if it's a you know if it's about engineering then you've got to get to the you know the business engineering journalist at the age or you know at the Sydney Morning Herald or wherever you've you've actually got to target that right person but you there are um there are services that do that. So MediaNet is something that you can subscribe to. Uh, look, it's not cheap, but you know, if it, you can subscribe to that, and they will send out your media releases to the right people. If you're doing a one-off, you know, if you were doing a media release for a charity organisation, you know, some sort of NGO, you can send that through media net to their news desk for the day and that will probably you know that will get picked up then journalists can see that um you know if you're writing for science-based um organization then that would go through the Australian Science Media Network so look I'm not a publicist I'm not you know PR specialist but I'm more about the the wordsmith and training people once they get the interviews to to handle the interview well and make the most of that platform. Mm. And what do you think about niche publications? Uh, the oh, like trade magazines? Yeah, I've often said to my students that rather than aim for the age of the Sydney Morning Herald or the Australian and their big mass market publications, you might have a better chance of going to the Yoga Association's website and trying to get some content put on there or it might be either master builders or something like that, particularly if they're your your niche. What what are your thoughts around targeting 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I've just been thinking myself this week that I'm going to pitch a story to um, the Australian um, you know, directors magazine. So there's a publication for people who sit on boards and, and are directors, um, you know, on handling, uh, handling crisis media situations. So certainly going to, the, and there are so many of them, you know, I pitched one and it, and it got a story in for um, a council magazine on, you know, a similar thing about what happens, how to communicate with people online, um, you know, when things do go wrong in council, because councillors deal with a lot of, you know, disgruntled residents who jump on their Facebook site and might say terrible things because they feel that they haven't had any joy speaking to someone in the council. So, you know, from a comms perspective, how do you handle that? Well, firstly, you ask them, you take it offline and say, you know, let's have a discussion. I can see that you're upset. You, It's good to acknowledge people's pain points. You know, you don't want to minimise them or... Um, you know, dis, uh, you know, discredit them at all. It's good to say, okay, I can see that you're upset about this. Let's, why don't you ring me and, and get it offline as quickly as possible. Um, But I feel we're getting a bit off track here. So let's, so yeah, I do think that going to trade magazines and to niche magazines or online, you know, bloggers, people who, who specialize in the area that you're working in is definitely worthwhile for sure. And you get more bang for your buck. And they, you know, they need, they need content. So they're often happy to take it. And often they represent hundreds, if not thousands of your target audience. So it can in fact be better in some respects, because you're getting straight to the people that you want. So I think that's the question, isn't it? It's like, what is my goal here? What am I trying to do? And it's not just about coverage for the sake of coverage. It's actually trying to get a result. Yes. Be very clear on your objective, for sure. And what about um, journos about what do they look for, you know, and what what signals would they read in something that makes them go, I'm not going to pick that up? What are they looking for in a good media release? So the things I covered off about what makes news, that's what they're looking for, you know, something trop topical, trending, exceptional, maybe it's got the celebrity element, you know, does it have impact for their target audience? Is it, um, you know, is it relevant to their target audience? Um, and, you know, is it, or, it, or is it something that's, I don't know, informative or funny? It's got human interest. It's got the wow factor. You know, the wow factor is something that's really unusual, that hasn't happened before. Um, and things that are turnoffs are certainly if you make the media release look like a sales document, that it's too salesy, that is a real turnoff because then they'll just say, we'll just take an ad out, you know. PR has got to look like, it's got to look like a news article. Yeah. Theresa, it's been an absolute delight talking to you today. Is there Thank anything you, else that you would like to share that you haven't yet that you think a copywriter might benefit from, from your expertise and your experiences? Yeah. So thank you. So if you are being interviewed by a journalist or if you're helping to prepare your spokesperson to be interviewed by a journalist, sometimes the sometimes the conversation will be derailed. You know, the journalist thinks, oh, this is boring, you know, and they, and they try and throw in a little bit of a, of a bomb. So I've got a bit of a to-do list and a not-to-do list. 
Um, on the to-do list, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, pass on questions that are outside your area of expertise or, or positions. Say, you know, I'm not um, I'm not working in accounts. You'd have to ask some, you know, someone in the finance department that. But what I can tell you is, and then you link back to what you know, to your prepared key messages. Sometimes you also want to clarify the reporter's questions. It helps, it, it can help buy time for you to think, get your head straight. And also, you know, sometimes the reporter is rambling on and say, sorry, could you repeat the question again, please? Don't be afraid of correcting the interviewer. They may have gone Googling beforehand and who knows what they found when they stumbled on something on Wikipedia or an old blog. Um, just say, well, I'm not sure where you got those statistics from because, in fact, our expertise or our research or our customers tell us this and then you go on to explain what the truth is. Use plain English. You know, don't use jargon. That's a real turnoff. And use colourful, relevant examples and analogies. And then at the end, ask the journalist if they need more information and follow up because you don't want the journalist Googling away and stumbling into rabbit holes and finding misinformation. You want to control the narrative, so you give them, um, you know, your background briefing on the topic so that it's, it's so that you know that it's um, it's verifiable. And then on the not to do list, I would always say do not fake um, or fudge statistics or lie. It'll come back to bite you on the backside. Um, don't take the bait or get wound up. You know, if you feel like a journalist is being kind of a bit pushy or a bit aggressive, you know, just take, you know, take a moment, take a breath, say to yourself, it's not personal. They're just trying to get, they're just trying to do their job and just say, just stay calm. Uh, don't say anything off record. I cannot stress that enough. So, you know, when the journalist has packed away their gear, don't say, oh, yeah, and by the way, gosh, we've had so many people leave the organisation. Oh, I'm off to another farewell function tonight. Oh, that is a no-no. That will be the first thing they start with, believe you me. Um, don't give hypotheticals or speculate. So journalists love to speculate. Okay, so there's been a cyber attack. What if this is, you know, all the data is sold on the dark web and then what if people have to get new passports and and all their, you know, all their details are stolen and their identities are stolen? Just, you know, stick with, okay, what we know at the moment is that this has happened. We've got IT department working on it 24-7. We're pretty sure we can shore it up. If people are concerned, here's the hotline. So don't get caught up in the journalist's excitement about, wow, this could be a really big story for me. Um, don't ask to see a copy before it's published. Journalists really hate that. And they're scared that, um, if they get held up with waiting for approvals by an organization that they'll miss their deadline. Instead say, look, if you, if you'd like me to fact check anything, I'm happy to do that. Uh, don't give guarantees. There are no guarantees in life except death and taxes, as they say. And don't say no comment because you've agreed to the interview, so you've got to come up with something. So say, look, that's not my area, but, you know, what I know is this. And then don't let journalists put words in your mouth because journalists are very seductive with the words they use, just like copywriters are, and they'll say something really like, isn't this just a disaster waiting to happen? And you'll go, yes, it's a disaster waiting to happen. And then you think, uh-oh, no. 
Because the journalist, when they edit you, especially for broadcast, for TV or radio, they won't use their question. They will only use your answer. And then there's you on record saying, you know, and then they've got, and the communications, you know, spokesperson for company X said, this was a disaster waiting to happen. So the journalist has got done their job, but you have just been led up the garden path by a journalist and it's possibly not what you wanted to say. So that would be my... They're amazing, Teresa, and clearly your expertise just shows. And I know one thing that's important to you is helping women in particular get their message out. And I know you do a lot of work with academics at universities um, who are absolute experts, you know, Antarctic scientists or you know, um, IVS specialists or whoever they might be, and they've got an incredible story to tell but struggle to get it out for whatever reason. What are those reasons? I'm interested in that. Maybe just a couple of tips before we finish as to how these experts who, because I get a lot of academics who do my course as well, um, you know, what, what are your first thoughts around why, and let's talk about women because I know that's a big um, cohort that you work with. Why do women in particular struggle to get their message out? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Bernie. It is something I'm passionate about. And on the topic of spokeswomen, there was a recent report by the Women in Media Gender Scorecard that found that of all the subject matter experts um, quoted in news coverage, um, you know, on every platform, less, less than a third, far less than a third were women. Now, it's not that there aren't women experts out there. It's for some reason they're not putting up their hand or they're not being put forward. Um, I did hear anecdotally recently about a um, a woman who's a lawyer. She was working on a really big case. Um, ABC Breakfast Radio rang her and asked her, you know, would you like to talk about this? And she said, oh, no, I'm not really comfortable. I've never had any experience with the media. And so she declined. And then her younger male colleague who had far less experience on that case, put his hand up and didn't do a terribly good job. Um, You know, and then this woman thought, gosh, that's a lesson to myself. I really should have put my hand up and would have done the case, you know, better justice really in representing what was going on. So I've also found there was one woman I um, was media training at a university in Sydney and she was a mathematical modeler uh, in infectious diseases. And then along comes this thing called the pandemic and she got a lot of inquiries from the media and she didn't feel comfortable. She'd never done it before. And she said, oh, no, that's really not me. I'd rather just crunch numbers in my uh, in my office. Thanks. But then she heard so much misinformation out there um, about the pandemic and the, about the way it was going, and this is before the vaccine was available, she felt compelled to speak out. She just thought, I, I, I can't sit here with the knowledge I have. I cannot sit here and listen to this misinformation. This is wrong. This is not good for the public. And then she stepped up. Um, so why women don't speak up? I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. Um, I wish I was. But on the flip side, you know, there are moves to get more women to speak up. And I know that the ABC actually has a mission to have gender parity when it comes to finding experts to speak on camera or on on radio. So certainly I would say to women, you know, if you don't feel comfortable, um, do some media training, 
you can always call me or there are lots of media trainers around. But, you know, if you are choosing a media trainer, make sure, one, they're an ex-journalist and, two, they've actually been trained to be a trainer because not not all ex-journalists have got that corporate training experience. And then rehearse possible questions with a colleague before you go into an interview. Um, you know, as I say again and again, an interview is not the time for an original thought. And I will tell one story which makes me look like an idiot, but it is a great example of why you should rehearse. I um, I wrote an article years ago, which Bernie, you actually featured in about being left-handed. I wrote a, it was quite a large feature in The Australian. It was a fun article on, you know, fun facts about left-handers. And Bernie and I are both left-handers. And um, it was everything from, you know, the myth that most polar bears are left-handed to, you know, why are there so many disproportionately high number of professional tennis players who are left-handed to the bad old days when nuns in Catholic schools used to, you know, tie left-handers' hands behind their back and make them right with their right hand, all that. I covered all that. It was a fun article and it got quite a bit of response. And um so I had a couple of radio stations ring me that day. It must have been a slow news day. and say, loved your article. Would you like to talk on radio, drive time? Um, I think it was 3AW about being left-handed. Yeah, sure, I'd love to. So there's me, media trainer. Um, I didn't take time to prepare for the interview because I was in a rush that day and had a lot to do. So I'm standing in my kitchen supervising homework and making dinner and speaking on live radio drive time. And then I'm asked, so, Teresa, an incredible disproportionate number of professional tennis players are left-handed. Who are they? And in that very moment, because I was nervous and suddenly realised <gasps> I'm live, I think the prefrontal cortex just shut down and I could not remember a single name. I went, well, there are quite a few. You'd be surprised how many there are. Gosh, seemed to have slipped my mind at the moment, but you'd be surprised if only I could think of their names. Anyway, I just wanted the ground to open up and to disappear. As soon as I got off the phone, bright red, embarrassed, mortified, I thought, oh, you know, Rafael Nadal, Natina, Martina Navratilova, you know, McEnroe, bunch of them all rolled off the top of my head. So no matter how well you know your subject, you must prepare. And if you are doing the interview on the phone, have a bunch of poster notes all around you with statistics, with key messages, with the things you want to say. Because I can guarantee that when you get nervous, you'll forget them. I can, you know, barely remember my, I don't know, my husband's name sometimes if I'm at a function and I'm and I'm nervous for some reason. So do yourself a favour, post a notes, you know, a spokesperson's best friend. Teresa, thank you for that lovely wrap-up. And I think you do amazing work because you do help people and women in particular get their messages out and that's really important. And I think in general you help people clarify what they're trying to say and what that's such an important thing. It's what copywriters do. We really help people, you know, do what they need to do to get their businesses up and running and out there um, and succeeding so that they can do what they love to do. So thank you so much for being my, my podcast guest. Thank you, Bernie, for having me. And if anyone wants to contact me um, on LinkedIn, Teresa Miller or, you know, teresamiller.com.au, um, love, to, love to make contact. And she's very good at what she does. So.
Thank you. If you want to hire me, media trainer, presentation skills, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Bernie. Bye-bye. Thank you, Teresa. What I think Teresa shows so clearly is that there's a formula for structuring messages and that with a bit of preparation, we can take the topics that are important to us and get them out to the world and do so with confidence and conviction and, importantly, congruence. If you'd like to join our community and tribe of copywriters, take a look at copyclub.com.au. We know that the fastest way to find success is to have a team of people around you who hold you accountable. That's what Copy Club can do for you. You'll get access to our learning hub filled with loads of templates and training videos. You get access to our regular Ask Me Anything sessions. We have amazing guest speakers and also a private Facebook community where you can post a question, get feedback on your work and much more. You can find out more at copyclub.com.au. As always, I'll leave you with an inspiring quote. And this one, which I think is very relevant for today's podcast. Speak up, even if your voice shakes. Too true. And my joke, because I know you're waiting for it. I have a friend who writes songs about sewing machines. She's a singer-songwriter, or so it seems. You can't tell me that's not a good one. All the best. That's it from me. Take care. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Copywriter. You'll find the show notes at soyouwanttobeacopywriter.com.au. This podcast was brought to you by the Australian Writer Centre. Do you want to get started as a professional copywriter? Have a look at our course, Copywriting Essentials. Created by Bernadette Schwert, this five-week online course will teach you how to write words that sell and get paid to be creative. Find out more at writercentercomau slash copywriting. And thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Copywriter. You'll find the show notes at soyouwanttobeacopywriter.com.au.